This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, what even is the item? Hello everyone, welcome to Watches of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that refuses to answer uncomfortable questions about the nature of existence. My name is Gepwin and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host Dr. Izix. Hi! And this is the first ever of something, an episode style, let's say, that becomes one of the most well-known things about Star Trek from the 80s and 90s mm-hmm. up to and including it being directly parodied in every other comedy show that came out after this and you're not talking about uh, a gangster episode are you <laughs> no i am not though that is also that <laughs> this gets to be two episodes in one <laughs> so yeah this is the gangster episode like they go to the planet full of gangsters and spock does something that I can't remember. There was a car involved, I think. Yes. Uh, and uh, there, there was the, the, the book that they read, and they're like, we're going to emulate this book, and uh, hey, there's some weirdos there. They have some stuff that we want, and it's all like gangster's paradise here. No, wait, that's not this episode. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that song was about a different kind of gangster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is the big goodbye which is not only a gangster episode which in some ways you could consider this maybe a light remake of the gangster episode they did they were very into the light remakes of mm-hmm. original series episodes when True. they were doing the first season that <laughs> uh, this is the first ever holodeck episode yeah that's the central uh, item that's being uh, you know uh, focused on here then it's what's going to be driving the plot yeah, we had it show up as just a random forest in the first episode. Then we saw it as a training simulator in the episode we do not remember. And <laughs> Even if we wanted to, we do not remember it. <laughs> yes, what episode? Go away. Yes. <laughs> then uh, this is the first time that it is the proper interacting with characters and it breaks and tries to kill you holodeck episode. Yes, because, uh, you know, it's good to have a murder machine on your ship. Yeah. And and as such, they don't know what they're doing with the holodeck yet, and they set it up in a way that makes it just existentially terrifying. Yes. <laughs> so, are these real people we're making in here? Because uh, that, yeah, that, that, that could be some problems there here. Um. <laughs> this interestingly opens up questions that you won't really get more of until you get to, like, Voyager. Mm-hmm. They they real I guess they realize how weird it is to have this as part of the plot, and they really walk it back. And yes. then <laughs> by the time you get to Voyager, they bring some of it back in a weird, unanswered way. Which like we'll we'll get into it a little bit more too. But I feel like this is like such a unexamined example of how Star Trek is so not a hard sci-fi show. <laughs> Yes. Even though everyone pretends it is. Like the the way that holograms even function at all, aside from like the technology of hard light projection, which is something that Marvel made up in the sixties mm-hmm. <laughs> and everyone's just like, Well that makes sense. That's that's science fiction, hard light, and it, it doesn't make any, any sense. Go away. But like just the way that the programming works, like how you're supposed to think that these these artificial people interact with the environment or think or function this is not hard science fiction it's using itself to answer some interesting questions and explore some interesting themes but it is so far and away not hard science fiction yeah you're effectively you have a device that can summon up mystical spirits that you can interact with and then can unsummon yeah you have such a strange yeah because theoretically, it's a bunch of programs being run in the computer. Mm-hmm. But the computer often doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> and the way that they talk about it later on when you get into Voyager, which I know is way later, but they keep this continuity going in a weird way. Like, each individual 
programmed entity seems to have its own independent existence that can be fully transferred and damaged and lost with no backup systems available. Because <laughs> I, I guess each file is too big, but you can have so many files. But the file yeah, seems <laughs> to work in, like, the file seems to only exist in and of itself with its own internal system and cannot properly interact with external systems except in specific and limited ways yes um in fact i, I believe uh, it was the holodeck is so weirdly isolated as far as technology goes that in early voyager at the very least they mentioned that the reactors that are built specifically for the holodeck can't interact with the rest of the ship's systems yeah, which is why it makes complete sense that they're using the thing that takes the most power on the entire ship constantly. Yes. <laughs> we can't have food, but we can go to the holodeck and eat a pizza. Which also raises some questions about the food that you eat in the holodeck. Yes. <laughs> is it replicated? Is it all just imaginary? Like it disintegrates once it enters your stomach? Or what? <laughs> is it tasteless? It would have to, like... Le like disappear as soon as you left mm -hmm. anyway we'll get into that we, we've <laughs> way jumped the gun here yes <laughs> we, just, we just have so many unanswered questions here that the holographic yeah. gun yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay this uh this episode was written by tracy torme who we just talked about because mm -hmm. the other episode that they wrote was haven Yes. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Uh, I, I guess it's um, uh, notable that uh, the director was uh, Joseph Scanlon, who uh, started, uh, I guess, the first of, the, like, I think four episodes they uh, directed. And because Tracy was sort of moved around as far as writing, uh, you know, sort of a focus, uh, was sort of brought in at some point and may have helped with the script, but, yeah, it's not entirely clear. So we have... Um quite a few guest stars in this one in an interesting way because a lot of them were like are more comfortable doing other like non-sci-fi stuff which is perfect for what they've been brought in to do here yeah. which is one of the reasons that the acting in this episode is actually really interesting mm -hmm. as far as first season episodes go yeah it's like a completely different genre is taking place in this episode of science fiction <laughs> so we've got lawrence Terney, who plays cyrus Redblock. yes he's very well known for playing mobsters in film noir movies uh, from the 40s to like 70s, and he had a lot of recurring guest spots on TV shows in the 80s, like this one here. And he plays a gangster in, in this show. So, yeah. so uh, quite on point there. Uh, he will play another character in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, uh, known as only as the Regent, uh, and I think he dies in that episode, but off screen. Um, also, apparently he's kind of a dick, or was, because I think he's dead now. I believe yes. so, yeah. Oh, that's too bad. That's too bad. You learn that about so many actors. It's so uh, sad. He had a, apparently a, a hostile interaction with Will Wheaton. Uh, mm. uh, there was some name calling and, why don't you play football? Like, I'm kind of a small guy. What child actor plays football? <laughs> uh, ones that play football characters, I guess. <laughs> that's it. That's a good way to get yourself injured and ruin your entire acting career. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, then you can become a, a gangster and uh, get typecast. Yeah. Well, there you go. We also have Harvey Jason as Felix Leach. He's an English actor who played a lot of film and TV roles. The Girl from Uncle, Rat Patrol, Batman, Cowboy in Africa, Love Boat, Wonder Woman, just any, anything... And everything. One of those dudes. Yes. Uh, he plays a, a pretty creepy character in this episode, too. Yeah, he does. He does. I haven't thought of, thought about Rat Patrol in so long. Such a strange show. <laughs> it's the one with the Jeeps in Africa, I think. And, like, the African front of uh, World War Two. Hmm. A lot of their episodes seems to, seems to center around needing to find gasoline for their Jeeps. Well, that does kind of make sense, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Supply lines, they're important. Then William Boyer plays Dan Bell. Uh, he starred in Forbidden Planet, so old school sci-fi. The old school sci-fi. Yes, uh, we should do that one at some point. <laughs> and he uh, was in a lot of guest spots and other reoccurring TV things from the 50s to the 90s. Way too many to name. Uh, he's going to show up again as a unnamed police officer in season six times Arrow. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, it might surprise people. He's uh, played a number of cops throughout his uh, run as an actor. So <laughs> he's got a cop face. Yeah, some people just look like cops. <laughs> uh, David Selberg plays uh, Walden. Walden. He did Walden. Walden. I forget. It's honestly been a little while since I watched this thing. I had a COVID experience yes, uh, between watching this and recording this and so everyone uh you know you, you got to stop covid because when gepkin gets six that means it's it's just it's, it's gone too far folks <laughs> down with covid i don't even leave my house and <laughs> so anyway he uh david selberg was on a lot of um tv guest things he was on la law wonder years er things like that uh, he has another Next Generation role coming up, and one more in Voyager, and then finally one in Enterprise. Shows up a lot. He has a Vulcan captain in Enterprise, uh, but I guess the typecasting for him is uh, he plays a lot of doctors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think he's like the historian dude in this one, so yes. I guess that's kind of a doctor. A history doctor. <laughs> doctor of history. <laughs> then Gary Arm... Arm... Uh, arm oh my god. Did I spell this wrong? No, I did not. A-R-M-A-G-N-A-C. It's French. How did you say it? Uh, Armagnac. Okay. <laughs> I'd probably miss announcing it, but that's the best I could do. <laughs> Gary Amargnac, which I apologize, I cannot pronounce French even a little bit, so I probably butchered that. I am sorry. He plays McNary, who's one of the cops. He plays cops and mm -hmm. cop-adjacent characters. <laughs> Uh, he's, uh, I think he's the bad cop in this episode, right? Yeah, he was the bad cop. He was on a lot of TV guest spots, and he also appeared in my just favorite weird sci-fi show ever, The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Uh, yes, <laughs> which is a glorious experience if you've not checked it out yet. <laughs> yeah, it is. I only saw it because I'm one of those weird um, Bruce Campbell super fans. <laughs> but, like, it is... It, it drags a little. It's old TV, but my God, it is worth watching just for the absolute craziness of the entire thing. It is a detective adventure sci-fi western starring Bruce Campbell. Yes. And uh, and he, he runs you know, Briscoe County, the you know named character there, runs around with his uh, buddy uh, named Lord Bowler, I think it was. Yep, Lord uh, Bowler. And there's uh, the lady and the scientist guy as well. Yeah. And uh, also, they, uh, at one point, uh, they're like, there's a, a, a gang of outlaws and they have motorcycles. This is weird. Mm -hmm. Oh, what was the scientist's name? Now I need to look this up. He played Gomez. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Way back in the day. Yeah, which um, is one of the other amazing reasons uh, to watch this. John. John Aston. John Aston. There we go. Professor Albert Wickwire. Yes. So, yes, watch it for John Aston. He's not in a ton of episodes, but he is in the first episode, and there's a, he will remind you why you liked the original Adams Family. Yep. Just <laughs> <laughs> a delightful person. Anyway, back to Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, back to Star Trek. <laughs> that was it. That's all the cast. Well, I We're guess done now. Well, there's the, uh, the, the secretary, technically, and uh, the lady that like has one scene and then dies. But, yeah, you know, I mean, they're not that's really, the main. Yeah, that's the cast that Wikipedia told me was important. How much research do you all expect me to do for this? <laughs> well, the secretary later, we could talk about her in different episodes. She shows yes, back. She shows up. <laughs> one day we are doing like a one day we're doing a weird special where we get a lot of guest stars to just talk about all the weird sci-fi shows that we mention <laughs> offhand. <laughs> anyway. All right, so Picard is preparing to make contact with the Gerada who are an insect race who demand very precise greetings in their incredibly difficult for humans language. And the slightest mispronunciation is a grave insult because that essentially killed a bunch of people on the last ship to run into them. Yeah, so uh, don't screw that up. Otherwise, the thousand-some people on the Enterprise are all doomed, Captain Picard. Yep, so Picard's been practicing this greeting. Uh, Troy points out how much Picard has been working to prepare and suggests that he takes a break because now they have the newly upgraded holodecks to check out and he might be over-practicing. I guess uh, I could check out one of these new holo novels that are all the rage with the kids uh, these days. Picard decides to try a detective simulation based on the Dixon Hill series of noir books. Uh, upon entering his secretary, who just suddenly shows up in this weird, like, you know, old-time 
40s looking office. The secretary makes fun of his outfit because he's still in Federation uniform and he realizes he should have changed into something appropriate. Yep. <laughs> uh, so I guess this is pre uh, perception filter for the characters in terms of yes. you know, what you're wearing. <laughs> See, that's what's so interesting about this. One, the characters in the holodeck act so much more like people because mm -hmm. later they will write in stuff like, you know, they can't actually go too far outside of their programming. They can't see if something weird is happening. They cannot f comprehend if you directly tell them that they are a hologram existing in an artificial world. They just, it doesn't work because they cannot go outside of the very small defined limitations of their particular programming. They act like advanced but still limited computer AIs. Indeed. In this, they just act like people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> real people with real internal uh, worlds and uh, who ponder their own meaning of existence and all that. The other really interesting thing here, which they, they start doing with this, he shows up in uniform and goes, well, dang, I should have dressed more appropriately. This is one of the only times in this entire series and actually a pretty rare occurrence in sci-fi media generally it's one of the only times that the members of the crew are struggling to figure out how to interact with new technology because mm -hmm. they don't know how to use the holodeck properly this is new to them yes. and they're <laughs> they're figuring it out on the fly which usually when you have any sci-fi media the people are so familiar with the future technology because it doesn't make sense for them to be confused by it but as with anything people would have to figure out how to use something that's new to them it's just not written in very often yeah yeah there's the ubiquitous you know we're gonna fire our phasers and then there's this and it's like okay so do i define the all the parameters for the simulation is there a singular file I just activate how do I talk to the people in there do I just talk to them like real people or is there a special way I have to talk in order for them to know what I'm talking about <laughs> and at, the, at this point it's kind of all of the above <laughs> it's also this weird thing where um, they they don't do this again particularly in later holodeck episodes because it's not as much fun for the audience. Mm -hmm. But this is also one of the first times that the characters have to figure out how to act. Yes. <laughs> because this is essentially an improv game. Mm -hmm. Like, you go into this simulation, and you have to improv that you're this character interacting with these people in this simulation, which is enjoyable. It's like D&D &D or something. But as anyone who's played D&D &D knows, sometimes you just don't know what to do. It takes you a little <laughs> bit to get to that improvisational storytelling flow. And this time, they don't. They don't all. They're awkward. They're, they're having difficulty. And that's interesting. But I think the writers did see very quickly that, you know, that's not as interesting as just letting the people who are good actors play different characters in yes. unique <laughs> novel situations. Yeah, you know, it's good for a first time, but to have that be how it runs forever would be, yeah. Though I, I guess uh, the interesting exception is probably Seven of Nine on Voyager, where she's like, I don't really want to be here playing chaotic as a, you know, girlfriend or whatever. Um, or uh, uh, Captain Proton's girlfriend there. Uh, I'm just going to sort of disable the robot by reaching into it. And are we done? Okay, let's go. <laughs> yeah, and see, by the time you get to, by the time you get late enough into the holodeck episodes for Voyager, that can be played off as comedy because mm -hmm. you're so used to all of the characters effortlessly slipping into their roles. Yes. So it's, you know, a, a break from the norm at that point. <laughs> yeah. So I just thought that was really interesting because it's not something that you um, see that often later, just mostly because... They, you know, make full use of their actors to uh, yeah. do acting. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Yeah, because <laughs> it's more fun. It's more fun to just watch the actors get to play around. Mm -hmm. So Picard walks into Dixon Hill's office where he finds a random woman who's there to enlist the detective's help in finding the person who wants her dead. Someone's trying to murder me. It could be this list of people or the horrible gangster. So another person shows up looking for him but he's had quite enough excitement for one day and leaves to both get changed and bring some friends along mm -hmm. um 
this person just then also walks in because the simulation just keeps running independently yep. of no one being there. <laughs> Picard forgot to freeze, program, and save. <laughs> and then is very confused that the person he was just talking to in the office with only one door has disappeared. Oh, that's... This makes sense. Maybe he's hiding in this desk. Oh, never mind. So Picard asks Dr. Crusher, who is very visibly disappointed that this isn't a date. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I guess maybe Crusher's heard what else the holodeck can be used for. And he, you know, he's inviting her along. <laughs> and then it's like, and we should also invite this other guy. Yeah, Wayland, <laughs> who's a 20th century cultural historian. Yes, so he can look at automobiles and stuff. It's going to be great. <laughs> uh, they do talk about the Gerada a little bit, but they still have 12 hours before they get there. You know, it's no big deal. They, nothing's going to go. Nothing's going to take 12 hours in, in the holodeck thing, right? Yeah, it's, it's going to be easy. So they return to Dixon Hill, this time with the historian and uh, Picard, both dressed up. Crusher's going to come later. She's still getting ready. And Data shows up because he just overheard and then read all of the Dixon Hill books ever written and decided that he was that century's equivalent of Sherlock Holmes and got excited. <laughs> yeah, we've already talked about uh, Sherlock Holmes, so uh, let's, uh, you know, see how that character, sort of character trope, uh, you know, and uh, archetype evolves through time. And I want to join in, Captain, please! So they get in there, they have some fun talking about newspapers and how old newspapers used to work also i didn't mention because he's a random side character but just reminded me that the uh, newspaper salesman is played by dick miller who shows up in so many things yep <laughs> just randomly you will recognize him immediately yes, he's sir. from this he plays uh he's in the deep space nine uh past tense episode which is a very very good episode yep <laughs> he's also just been in a lot of stuff just like random Gremlins. you have seen you have seen him you will recognize him immediately <laughs> but, uh, he's this time he's playing the vendor yes he sells newspapers uh -huh. so they're having a great deal of fun until they spot that one of the articles in the newspaper is about the woman who went to his office earlier has been murdered <sighs> and no sooner do they notice this than the police just randomly show up and go like hey you done did that murder we just found out about it. Uh, can, can we at least read the article first, please? <laughs> yeah. These are Detectives Bell and McNary who arrest Dixon Hill on site. Hmm. Well, you could take him in for questioning, I guess. Uh, I guess this is pre-Miranda. Yeah. I don't know what the rights were at that time, but yeah, people should know this. Unless a police officer is actually arresting you for something, you can say, no, thank you. I would not like to go with you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, don't go with them. This is something that they don't want people to know. Yes. <laughs> also, if they have not charged you with anything, you can leave at literally any time. Say, can I go? And if they say no, ask them, you know, I would like to speak to a lawyer then. Back on the bridge, the Dorada have unexpectedly showed up and start scanning the ship, which messes up everything, including the holodeck. Yeah, so this is like a particle beam scanner that's like, come on, guys, you, you're basically doing a hostile action under the sky, uh, guise of trying to know what's up with us. But, you know, our own scanners don't do, do this sort of crap. So what's up? Oh, you're, just because everybody else's stuff is so weak, just because your technology can't handle their cool scanners. Well, I, I guess uh, got us there, technically. Uh, <laughs> but just because they're here early, they still refuse to speak to anyone but the captain because it's their tradition. So he has to be tracked down to the holodeck. All right, well, uh, let's go uh, open up the holodeck and uh, say, hey, Captain, what's up? Uh, we got some uh, bug aliens here that mm -hmm. don't show up on screen, but do have a weird voice. So, But first, Dr. Crusher, who's now in full fancy dress, enters, even though she has some trouble with the door. It like, won't open all the way. It does some weird stuff, indicating mm -hmm. that something may be wrong, but no one knows how this stupid thing works. I guess the door just does that. Yeah, so there's a glitch with the door. It's it, Maybe it doesn't like interacting with the new upgrades or something like that. This is fine. So she shows up and is kind of disappointed to find that everyone is just having to be in the police waiting room, waiting for <laughs> Picard to be finished being interrogated. Well, you know, Picard is Dixon Hill. He is the main character. Uh, the rest of you guys get to look at lambs, I guess. Yes, yeah. they yeah. enjoy themselves, like <laughs> checking out stuff, uh, 
Crusher like half accidentally flirts with one of the police officers. It was a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, different uh, standards of uh, behavior here. That, uh, Picard's been yeah. given the yelled at traditional film noir cop interrogation. He's just thrilled, thrilled <laughs> to bits. <laughs> but eventually, he's like, "Ah, okay, I think we've had enough of this." Uh, it's- kind of going around in circles can i just go now <laughs> but meanwhile outside jordy has found the holodeck is locked and not working uh Riker and wesley come down to fix the situation but they can't really do anything and the only thing that they can possibly do to try to address the problem is to check each circuit individually one millimeter at a time hmm, this seems like a an inconvenient way to sort of sort out a uh most complex device you've ever de- uh, devised you know yeah i guess this is what happens when you change all of your technology over to some sort of random crystal based thingy <laughs> gotta look at the crystals make sure they're for- well formed there inside though the crew has no idea that anything's gone wrong they're just having a grand old time uh picard and the doctor flirt a lot this is still before they figure out what they're doing with their characters so yes a lot of flirting uh they keep being cocked blocked by data as he does because Data does not understand this human interaction thing. So they head back to Dixon Hill's office where they find Mr. Felix Leach, who is quite insistent that they talk, even pulling guns on them. They're very pleased with this development because, like, oh, my God, he's threatening us with a gun. This is amazing. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but then Walden is shot. Oh, no. Uh, Walden has been hit by a holographic bullet. Whatever shall yeah, we do? Screaming and bleeding and etc. Picard slaps Leach. It was an interesting, uh, interesting reaction to someone being shot. <laughs> uh, who runs away cowering and yelling about his boss. Well, uh, I guess we could get this guy to a hospital, uh, even though it's in the holodeck, and hopefully they won't butcher him. Leech is silly. Leech is a very silly character. He's like, yes. oh my god, you struck me. You laid <laughs> oh. hands upon me. <laughs> I am so offended, and I'm going to run away and get uh, my big brother, I guess. I mean, but yeah, Walden's uh, bleeding out, and the computer won't open the exit. That's a good idea. They don't even think about trying to get him to in-universe medical care, but I guess that wouldn't necessarily occur to you. Well, they're also, uh, apparently this office is on uh, Union Square. I don't remember if there's any uh, hospitals nearby. I don't hmm. know. Well, Union Square where? Did in San Francisco. San Francisco? I have no idea then. Yeah. Union Square in New York, there's a hospital right next to it. I've actually uh, been to Union Square. Uh, there's a Macy's. So you could go get some band-aids. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a hotel. Uh... So on the rest of the ship, time's running out with the Jurata, but they um, probably just have to stall long enough to get out, get the captain out. Inside, Crusher does her best to stabilize Walden, but it's not working well because, you know, it's all holographic junk. She doesn't have medical equipment. Hmm. Uh, Leech returns with Red Block and some other random goon. They're hmm. looking for something that they believe Dixon has. The item. The item. This is a classic MacGuffin plot. An actual classic <laughs> MacGuffin plot. We want the thing, but we don't know where it is. We had got that far enough of the plot. Uh, get us the item. You have it. because yeah, I They don't have so. any idea. They, yes. they don't know what it is, where it is, what it's supposed to be. <laughs> Could you describe this item? <laughs> also, to complicate things, McNary shows up. The cop from earlier. He's also <laughs> captured. Well, I guess you're not a very good cop here. Picard decides that the best course of action may be to actually tell the truth, that none of this is real. Uh, the crew are from another world. It's actually filled with fabulous wealth. Oh. You know. Yeah. Uh, you know, so uh, this seems where ridiculous, the item is. but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> of course, no one believes this. Uh, Red Block decides to threaten Dr. Crusher in order to get the item. Uh, Picard tries to deal with him, but all of this future talk is just confusing everyone. <laughs> you sound like a crazy person, Picard. Uh, I'm I'm going to try to murder someone now if you don't stop it, I think. Or maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'll consider what you're saying, maybe. So outside, Wesley's identified the problem, but if he fixes it incorrectly, it could kill everyone inside. That seems like a design flaw. Yeah, these things are death traps yeah (laughs) definitely death traps Riker orders that they do it anyway because you know waiting longer won't fix it and if the captain dies that makes uh, Riker captain so he can carry out this mission and it'll be fine yeah win win yeah (laughs) so the office that everyone is in inside briefly turns into a snowstorm then the door opens oh well uh I guess 
we could go say hello to Riker. Wait, he's not outside there, is he? Picard tells them that he will leave and bring back the item because it's out there. However, Red Block insists on going himself. Data warns him not to do that because they can't exist outside of the holodeck, but Red Block and Leech leave anyway and very, very slowly fade into non-existence. Indeed. Hmm. In a weird, so slow. weird, scary way. Yeah, slow motion disintegration. Uh, you know, kind of an un uncomfortable way to go. Yeah, not like that thing they do with newer Star Trek where, like, there's just a hard line barrier that they can't leave. Yeah, it's like projection just stops here. So, you know, mm -hmm. put your no, arm it's in very and slow it. disintegration. <laughs> Which so actually, crew... actually has, has me uh, uh, thinking here. What if that exit that shows up and they go out isn't actually an exit, but actually just another hollow program being grafted onto here? Yeah, that's what they always do. <laughs> this is one of those stupid, like the holodeck opens up one of these, like, how do you know you've stopped dreaming plot lines? Exactly. <laughs> And uh, it takes a little while for the holodeck to realize, oh, I should like not be projecting these characters in this program because they are holographic programs that exist in the holodeck. And this is not the holodeck in this program, so they must go away now. You're spoiling things from season two. <laughs> Stop it. Oh, I think it's actually a later season. Well, anyway. <laughs> no, it's definitely season two because I think Pulaski's there. Oh, you're right. That's the second time he shows up. Yes. That's season four with... Uh, with Barclay. Barclay, not with Pulaski. Okay, <clears throat> there we go. I got my I got my Moriarty's confused. <laughs> so uh, back to Dixon Hill. <laughs> so the crew rush Walden to sick bay. Uh, Picard stays behind to talk things out with McNary, who's having trouble contemplating his own existence as a apparently sentient entity. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, when you leave, uh, is my do I go home to my family? What gives, guy? Yeah, like, did my family exist mm -hmm. at all? Do yeah. I go home? Does this world continue when you're not here? Picard goes, eh, eh bye. <laughs> uh, uh, bye. Then the office fades to black with no answers. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, Barony, uh, you uh, probably don't exist anymore. Congratulations. So Picard runs to the bridge to greet the Jirata. Um They are honored by his greeting. Works out fine. He, he did it. Uh, Data starts in on a film noir story opening before Picard tells him to shut up and they uh, fire up the engines. <laughs> All right, we've said hello to the scary aliens. We can get out of here, I hope, right? Right. So this is um, this is definitely one of the scarier holodeck things because mm -hmm. they're they're not programs. Just like I am aware of my own existence and possible finite mortality, and this has some questions about my world and how it exists and whether I have actual memories. So yeah, yeah, yeah. gotta go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess uh, you know a bit later, the especially after the second uh, season uh, adventures, there they're like, yeah, we should probably like not let our hologram characters like have this much sort of sentience, I suppose. <laughs> Um, but uh, at this point, yeah, it's like, yeah, this is, we're simulating a whole real person, and it's effectively created life for our amusement. And they kind of, they do, like, one more thing with it. It's it's a weird transition. <laughs> this is, they say, they just installed these things. Then later they get, like, an update mm -hmm. when they do the next thing, which is uh, in a few episodes in 10000101. Uh I don't know if I even said that right. I'd be impressed <laughs> if I did, though. And they, well, if you, if you did, uh, say it ten times fast, just to make sure. <laughs> they have another holodeck thing, and in that one, spoilers, they uh, they are super impressed by how real the person inside seems, which suggests mm -hmm. that they're not supposed to, even though, of course, in this one, they do a yes. lot. <laughs> so, well, maybe uh, in this uh, episode, uh, you know, none of the characters, like have normal textures to their touch and no smells or something like that but in the future episode they do <laughs> yeah it doesn't actually smell like anything that would just be fun to have a more modern take on holodecks with like intermediate technology they always have like there's no holodeck and then there is a holodeck they never have the like low res holodeck 
Yes. The holodeck with texture pop in. <laughs> yeah, if uh, you go outside the actual bounds of the program, it doesn't auto-generate yet. Uh, no, the holodeck for the grass didn't load properly. <laughs> yeah, if you, a weird uh, checkerboard texture on that chair. Yeah. If you uh, jump over this wall here, you'll actually fall 20 feet, but you'll be safe because it thinks you're falling into a lake, but there's no actual water there. So uh, you can breathe, but you land softly. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, random characters just swim animationing through the sky, you know. <laughs> and I'm reminded of that uh, one uh, clip from someone had a uh, glitch like that from Skyrim where the lady swims up and says, you know what you've done, and then goes <laughs> swimming off. <laughs> That's ominous. <laughs> yeah, I I'd love to uh, uh, experience that sometime in Star Trek. Uh, hey, Strange New Worlds, uh, there there's an episode for you. <laughs> See, this is, um, it's difficult to think about now because I think there's just been such a saturation of it. There's, you know, there's seven seasons of, there's three seasons of original series and seven seasons of Next Gen and seven seasons of Voyager and seven seasons of Deep Space Nine. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, f three seasons of Enterprise, however many seasons we wind up of, <laughs> of Discovery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Both original series... And the first couple se seasons of Next Generation do this thing that, like, I'm not entirely sure you can actually replicate. They're they're kind of trying now with Strange New Worlds, but I think it's actually a minor criticism I have of the format of that show. That even with as much as I criticize very vocally original series and some of the stupidness of their plots, you you really literally did not have any idea what was going to happen episode to episode. Indeed. <laughs> like, random cowboy planet, random gangster planet, random whatever alien god thing. Like, you you literally had no clue what could possibly happen on the next episode. And that's one of the things that makes it interesting. Yeah, it goes completely off the wall at times, and other times it's like, well, that was kind of fun. I guess that was just a plan of the week. The thing is, that's one of the things that makes it difficult to critique both original series and some of these early episodes because mm -hmm. there's a lot of things in this episode that i really like but it's also very very light on ideas and and explorations of characters or anything much more substantial beyond hey look at this thing yeah <laughs> we're doing uh some sci-fi stuff here uh, we don't know how it's going to turn out but we're trying and that's what's kind of interesting like you know, a film noir format's been done before. The gangster thing has been done before. Mashing it together into this weird, like, the crew are interacting with it in an awkward way because it's new technology and mm -hmm. none of them are actors. Yes. <laughs> and they don't know what to do. It's really interesting to have the crew in a lost situation like this where they really don't know what they're doing and they don't know how to interact with it. And they're not sure what's going to happen. Yeah. But they really don't do a lot of exploring because, like I said, it's a, hey, look at this style thing. Because mm -hmm. this is still early enough that you you don't have any idea what they're going to do. Like, yes. <laughs> Next Generation is getting a little more formulaic. You don't have as much of a, like, wild, crazy out there, like, this week we meet a Greek god, next week we go to Cowboy Planet, this week we meet gangsters. Mm -hmm. And next but week we'll have a giant sphere spaceship that uh, tells us to surrender. <laughs> yeah, but but you're still in this. You're still early enough that you're not really sure what is going to happen. Mm -hmm. So you really can have episodes that are really just, "Hey, look at this thing," which I guess maybe is uh, something that Doctor Who kind of still does uh, to, uh, to a certain degree. Uh, you know, sometimes this results in horrifically terrible episodes. Other times, it's like, that was a lot of fun. And yeah, sure, there's some elements that are, you know, pretty, you know, well-trotted. But, you know, we've not had an episode with the Daleks trapped in a time loop with the characters before. That's kind of new. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, some of the newer Doctor Who stuff has gotten a little... They don't know how to pull it off super well. But yeah, they're still trying, like... I don't know. There's an immortal girl and a cat that breathes fire. Why not? Yeah. So uh, we're gonna go with that. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I believe the uh, the term is high concept. Well, uh, you know the the our people meet this. <laughs> and like not to get into like a 
Strange New Worlds critique, but like I feel like that's one of the only things that I'm not liking about that from some of the more modern Star Trek because they're trying to recreate that episodic format, which is mm-hmm. something that I enjoy, but there's just been so much Star Trek. The amount of stuff you'd need to actually do, the amount of just weird, raw creativity that you would need to put in to legitimately give you that I have no idea what's going to happen this episode feeling Mm -hmm. would be incredibly difficult to pull off in a good way. Yes. It'd be almost impossible. Uh, I'm not saying no one could pull it off, but it'd be intensely difficult. Just FYI, uh, Strange New World uh, folks, uh, I am uh, currently looking for employment, so if you want to hire a writer, I'm right here. Can you come up with something that's more creative than the plot of Aliens? Uh, yes. What if aliens, but they're not hunting the crew? Going back to the actual episode itself, I think it does. It raises a lot of questions it doesn't want to answer, which I think is actually kind of interesting. If they did play it longer, if this had not been a something went wrong and everyone's going to die and we have to save them episode, mm-hmm. if this had been a bit of a slower build of this is an earlier version of the holodeck, the characters do know what's going on what are the ethical implications of having basically created near sentient or fully sentient entities that are capable of questioning their own existence and place (laughs) in the universe and then using that for your own entertainment in a way that eventually you will have to turn off yes have maybe the characters think about that a little bit as they sort of realize oh this is a little bit more complicated than i originally thought the the ending the ending of the holodeck thing is a very powerful scene it's an Mm -hmm. it's a really good idea to have one of your central authoritative always has to know what's going on command characters go like i do not have the answers to these kinds of questions Mm -hmm. because it's just something no one can or would know but they didn't actually set it up enough for it to be as impactful as it could be which is really sad to my mind because that's a really really impactful idea but he doesn't even have much of a relationship with this guy. He showed up in two scenes, one of which he's just being yelled at. I guess this is uh, a guy that's kind of part of the scenery. Uh, do I need to care about him? Uh, <laughs> but apparently, he's a fully uh, fleshed out uh, person deep down inside. And uh, you know, without things kind of going haywire here, we don't really get a chance to sort of get to know that. But uh, if there was sort of maybe a more organic way to sort of have P- Picard, as Dixon Hill, realize that there's more to this guy than you know quote what's on the uh, the, uh, the page in terms of you know the uh, the dixon hill uh, novels which he's read you know that would be a maybe a sort of interesting way to take it instead yeah yeah and you you wind up with you'd wind up with a slightly more interesting nuanced take on the whole thing than say you get next season with moriarty because moriarty just becomes a threatening villain mm-hmm. and like, i'm now all powerful huh yeah no matter how no matter how interesting he is as a character coming to terms with his own existence he's still presented as an antagonist mm-hmm. he's a threat to the crew and you have to try to deal with that threat rather than any actual moral implications of we have a sentient being who can only exist in this one room and we cannot just keep it going forever yep you could even introduce the idea of like holodeck degradation or something mm-hmm. which i think they do later on at some point just like you know, even if we did keep the thing on forever, running it for that long would eventually just short out the thing. We have to do maintenance on the system at some point, and uh, we don't want your hollow matrix to degrade and, you know, start coming up with, you know, you know, weird exceptions and loops that, you know, just uh, start eating up all your memory until you're unable to function. And you could even do that as a first episode here, which would have been kind of a perfect place to put it because, you know, it's new technology. Mm-hmm. Maybe they did make it too well and then later they step it back which is why you wind up with people who act more like programs in Mm -hmm. later episodes yeah yeah it would be great to have sort of a a problem like they uh, featured with the uh, the doctor's character uh in one of the earlier seasons of uh, voyager uh where you know so you've kind of you know expanded yourself so quickly and you've got this you know that you haven't quite been structurally set up to accept all of this so we kind of need to graft another hologram onto you uh, that has the sort of same cr- uh, core matrix in order to make sure that you don't just sort of fall apart on us. 
they they sort of do it you know they sort of do it later not super well but they expand the holograms into basically android analogs by mm -hmm. the time you get to voyager yes because you know mm -hmm. the doctor is their non-human character they've they've kind of established that every one of these shows needs their non-human outsider character that can look at humanity with whatever lens they happen to be doing Data's trying to emulate humanity odo can't understand and has to stand apart from humanity and the doctor is trying to become his own thing influenced by but not trying to fully emulate humanity yeah he's going his own way and then uh on uh, enterprise you have uh to paul i guess yeah that's why it doesn't work as well yeah. <laughs> she's horny for humanity i, yes. I guess <laughs> uh and then she gets on drugs yeah but this, um, I just keep coming back to the last, I just keep coming back to the last part of this episode, because all of those characters just bring the non-human perspective from something. Mm -hmm. But the characters in this, as one-off characters and as definitely holographic non-main characters that aren't going on this how-do-I-interact-with-humanity arc, it brings it the other direction. Like... You, for all intents and purposes, are God. <laughs> you created all of these people, essentially for your own amusement. And now, they are questioning their place in the universe. What are you going to do about that? Yeah, so what are the ethics of being God? And then, at the end, you find out that God doesn't know any more about the universe than you do. Hmm. Well, that's awkward. Um... <laughs> Can I uh, try to go on a quest to try to figure these things out? No, you're going to turn me off? Oh, I'm like, bye. Hmm. And nothing was learned. Yep. So, yeah, it could have been an interesting exploration of sentience, what, what that means. Does being a sentient entity mean that you have what one would think of as a soul in the same way that a, you know, organic sentient entity might whether or not you believe in that kind of thing. Does that mean that you do continue existing when the program's turned off? Well, well Moriarty says yes. <laughs> Is all of the stuff that you've been programmed with keep going? Did, was any of that there? Does this guy's family actually exist, or do just the memories of his family exist? Yeah, you know, you, you know, if someone's not present in a scene, you know, the computer doesn't necessarily have to simulate it. Mm -hmm. Could generate a, you know, you know algorithmically... Uh, Hey, this is what I, this character does off screen. And then when you encounter them again, they can say, I did this. It's also kind of an interesting metatextual exploration of like the TV show format generally. Because, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, none of these characters exist when we, the audience, are not looking at them. Yeah. So what do they do? We, we like know that they do stuff in between because they reference it. But we also know that they didn't actually do any of those things. Yes. <laughs> Does that make them, that makes them less real people in a certain sense, but you still interact with it like they are. You believe in the fiction sufficiently in order to pretend that this, you know, these events happened. We didn't see them. We were not demonstrated them. We were simply told about them. And, uh, and that's good enough for us as, you know, viewers here. Is that good enough for the, uh, the characters on the holodeck, though? Yeah, you wind up with an interesting weird question especially from the perspective of a tv writer i feel like you could get some very interesting perspectives on this question it's basically asking what if the characters on the tv show questioned whether they existed when you turned it off yes <laughs> start looking at the camera you know like don't leave us we need you <laughs> which in some ways is like a really good premise for a twilight zone episode yes <laughs> I don't know if they've done one like that before. They should. <laughs> Maybe Outer Limits could do it too, you know, any of those. Yeah, they, they sometimes have like some crossover as well. So. <laughs> but I just feel like I, I love this episode way more than I remembered because mm -hmm. it's just fun to watch the crew get to be awkward. Yes. And like, you know, this was fun for them because it must be so challenging for an actor to be playing a character who has to act like that character is bad at acting in a novel situation <laughs> uh so, so some of the stuff i was uh reading about uh this was very much yeah you know people actually were enjoying themselves a great deal on set because this was sort of a break from everything else 
and you know you know allowing uh, the character you know the actors to sort of do a period piece uh you know it's like ah oh, i can sort of stretch my acting chops a little bit you know i don't have to necessarily mm-hmm. be in the, the same character constantly <laughs> and you know actors will tell you all the time that the hardest thing to play is a realistically bad actor one could try to emulate examples of uh, bad actors in real life but even still it'll just come off as fake of being fake so it's a great it's a great time to watch the actors get to have fun get to watch them struggle with new technology which i do kind of wish they did something more with because like Mm -hmm. even in the show like they're they're interacting with new technology all the time yep but they're so (laughs) seldom confused by it it's like oh yeah this has an interface that i fully understand right away so i'll push some buttons and suddenly we have a new cloaking device uh, that shoots uh, disco rays at people if they'd just done that if they'd just done we're acting with a new thing, and it went haywire, and I had to figure a way out of this situation. It would have been a perfectly serviceable, fun episode. Mm-hmm. The fact that they throw in existential horror right at the end <laughs> for no particular reason. <laughs> like, they don't want to examine it. They don't spend any time talking about it. It's just like, hey, what happens to people when they die? I don't know. Hope you don't. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes Star Trek does stuff like this, uh, you know, uh, I'm actually reminded of uh, something where they do something similar, but it's at the Starvin episode, where you know uh, it's a, a Voyager episode, uh, Dragon's Teeth, where uh, you know the two people are about to uh, get into uh, cryopods in order to sleep through the bombing of their homeworld, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the lady's like, "Will we dream?" And the guy's like, "I don't know. Get in." <laughs> <laughs> it's like this yeah this might be an important thing because if they get trapped in like you know for centuries down there well, if they're dreaming that could be an interesting experience it could leave them you know heavily mentally uh damaged and uh you know if not then they'll just sort of wake up and be like oh it's now the future <laughs> or not as the case may be with that episode yes. yeah. <laughs> no our plants still crap dang yeah, I, I don't have much more to sort of uh, pull out here as far as, uh, you know, interesting things to talk about, uh, other than uh, a little bit of uh, geography about uh, uh, Picard's or Dixon Hill's office there. Because uh, yeah, I believe it's in San Francisco, which I visited twice as a child and don't remember much. Well, uh, the uh, I believe the uh, see briefly on like the business card or something like that. Uh, apparently, uh, his office is like 350 Powell Street, uh, which presently is part of union square as in the actual square uh not the buildings around it uh and the address presently belongs to a, like a coffee shop that's closed <laughs> so it's, they so. should definitely put a dixon hill sign up <laughs> uh yeah i've you know as i mentioned earlier i've actually been to the uh, the square there uh i've gone to the uh American Geophysical Union uh, a fall meeting uh, in times uh, and ages past. Uh, I don't remember if it's still held in San Francisco, but yeah, it was at the time at the very least. Uh, and uh, you know, Union Square is kind of you know pretty close to uh, you know where all the uh, con- you know, convention center stuff is. Um, and as I mentioned, there's a, a a Macy's there, and on the roof of it is a cheesecake factory, uh, and. Uh, <laughs> Going up there and eating on the balcony in the middle of winter is a little weird, but they have these nice uh, heated lamps, so it's actually quite nice. Could be interesting. Does it get cold in San Francisco? Uh, it's it gets in California. Cool. It's, you know, like uh, yeah, is the uh, that side of the city is uh, you know uh, away from the ocean, so there's you know some different sort of effects going on uh, versus the seaward side, um, and so I guess the coldest it got there when I was there was like the fifties, maybe. Um, and this was like in the middle of December, so. Okay, yeah. The only thing that I particularly know about California is that they don't have seasons like I do. Yeah. <laughs> it's a different sort of experience. <laughs> I guess San Francisco is a lot more north than like, you know, L.A. or those places that yeah. are just warm all year. So I suppose California is very big. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, though I, I guess uh, there's also, you know, similar uh, effects kind of going all the way up the coast there. You know, it's like. Yes, it's Anchorage. It's winter, and we're still getting the first snow st- uh, storms, and, and you know, some years. And you know, meanwhile, when I was in New Hampshire, it's like, well, yeah, we're already kind of buried here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so it's a little bit of interesting geography stuff, I suppose. So, but uh, if you uh, do find yourself at Union Square, uh, 
I would recommend uh, checking out uh, you know the restaurant there and uh, also the uh, there's like a, a sort of a mall area nearby that's pretty pretty neat and uh, the the the, the Metreon, uh sort of uh, place with businesses and stuff there that just sounds like a super villain yes <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's you know the metreon it's you know there's a chipotle there uh, there's burgers <laughs> uh, there's a massage place um uh, a drugstore i suppose uh there's national university san francisco is attached to it apparently i am um, metreon <laughs> you will have a burrito <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah it's it's you know also right next to the uh oh, the the Mask uh Mascone Center uh Mas- Mascone and there's a bunch of uh, like museums and such like there unfortunately the uh, uh cartoon museum i think is closed down that's kind of in the area as well but uh, wow. there's like you know art museums and things like that of various sorts nearby um so it's it's sort of an interesting place to, uh tourist wise to sort of check out and uh it's also right next to like the financial district, so if you want skyscrapers, that's just like a few blocks over. I know oh. so little about San Francisco. I apologize. So much of this is going over my head. <laughs> I'm looking at it on on Google Streets. It's like, okay, yep, looks San Francisco-y. All oh, those buildings are white with the weird little square windows. Some vaguely Art Deco looking shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also nearby is uh, some of the trolley lines. Uh, you know, it's very touristy, but. Uh, it is a uh, great way to get down to the uh, uh, the pier area, uh, and there's more stuff to look at over there. Well, I'm very glad that the trolleys are still going. So many people, are, so many places are dismantling all of their public mm-hmm. infrastructure. Yeah, well, the trolleys are very much a San Francisco thing, so that's like city heritage sort of keeps them around. There is uh, also like uh, bus lines that use the overhead cables to um, get around, mm-hmm. uh, and those you know are still running last uh, I checked. Um, so yeah, so uh, there's some good stuff going on. So San Francisco, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Looks it. I feel like I have like an unofficial rivalry with being on the East Coast, but I don't know if that's true. It's uh, very much like uh, uh, apples and uh, you know electron microscope uh, sort of comparisons here. These are very different things, but <laughs> I guess the geography sort of demands it. So uh, yeah, so sh- should we move on? Yeah. Well, if that was most of what we had to talk about i feel then probably time to get over to the galaxy's favorite game show we got our contestants racking up various points today and we got some prizes to hand out so i hope you're ready for it Anyway, the, the first uh, prize to hand out is the Holodeck Malfunction Prize, which goes to Picard and Company for fall, falling victim to the first proper Holodeck Malfunction in the series. The start of a rather kind of annoying trend, honestly, but eh, they'll make some interesting uses of it overall. Um, what do they win, Gepwin? Picard wins books because I feel like the books very seldom come alive and try to kill you. Mm-hmm. This is probably like the holodeck version of the book was better than the movie. The, <laughs> the book tried to shoot me 100% fewer times. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, when your uh, yeah, entertainment starts having a body count, that might mean a, a, it's time to uh, change what sort of uh, things you're taking in here. Ooh. Our second prize is the Ridiculously Hostile Locals Prize, which goes to the Gerada for being prone to murder if you don't speak their language perfectly, and having scans that seriously mess up your ship for no real reason. What do they get, uh, Gepwin? Gerardo win a border wall seems like the only logical conclusion when you're that racist about people speaking your language. They just, just put up a fence and be done with it. Space fence. We've seen these. Heck, you know, it's like, make a deal with Q. It's just... Put that weird you know, uh, force field thing around our uh, area of space so we can just ignore everyone. Cool? Cool. <laughs> they go, like, you don't speak our language, therefore we get to kill you. It's just, it's, it's not a good look, dudes. Nope. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, one of those things that maybe the Federation should be avoiding these people. Hmm. Anyway, the uh, final prize today is the Caring Antagonist, which goes to Cyrus Redblock, who really does care about the murder urges of his henchmen. What does Cyrus Redblock uh, win, Gepwin? 
Sometimes Redblock wins the item. But, I don't know. Maybe it's Prozac or something. You can calm down. So we have no idea. I mean, we talked about this in the Monster episode way back. Like, while they were all seriously dangerous, horrible people, a lot of them did really legitimately care about their local neighborhood and politics, which is one of the reasons that they stayed in consistent amounts of power for so long, because they took over the low-level corruption stuff that most local governments of the time period weren't dealing with. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have uh, this. We might as well make it nice and organized and, you know. That way it's not going to be uh, screwing up our neighborhoods. So it makes sense that he's both a murderous psychopath, but also seems to deeply care about the people around him. Yeah, you gotta keep an eye out for your, your dudes here, and they'll uh, they'll help you with your plans to take over the city or something. Hmm. That's all I got, Gepwin. Feel free to take us away, uh, but don't take away that item and hide it somewhere, because we'll never be able to find it again. Yeah, because we completely forget what it is. Yes. It's not important. <laughs> anyway, thank you for putting up with this weird thing we do called the Galaxy Saver Game Show! Oh, oh we're there. We're there. We're next time. Yep. Next time we have the one, the one the episode one. that spawned so much stupid shit. <laughs> <laughs> like just so much. Like it was good in next gen. I enjoy both this episode and all the things that it spawns in next generation as a contained series. Mm-hmm. Once you get to the movies and Star Trek Picard and all this just stupid just stop it. Just my God. Just yeah, be done. A little complicated in an unnecessarily fashion, but here, here it's it's uh, well contained, and uh, you know, and we're not talking about any crystalline entities here, are we? Only vaguely, because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's just a random plot device that I can't believe they made show up in three episodes. <laughs> it's not that interesting, and maybe because you paid for the model or you made the computer doodah or whatever it was. Yeah, that was expensive at the time. I think it was a computer doodah. I have to look that up again. Anyway, we are moving on to data lore. Data lore. Wait, data is going to be playing two characters in the same episode? Yes. Brent Spiner gets to play two characters in one episode. Later, he plays three characters in one episode. Now, he is quickly moving towards being the only person they need to hire for any (laughs) Star Trek series ever because eventually he will just play every character. Uh, he'll even uh, play Jonathan Frakes, who's uh, directing uh, you know, you know, future episodes as well. And uh, Jonathan Frakes would be like, "I'm confused. I thought I was the director." And like, "No, we got we got uh, you know, Brett Spiner to pay play you <laughs> at being the director." Yeah, and I don't get me wrong. I love Brent Spiner. He was one of my favorite actors mm-hmm. from Star Trek. I love everything he's doing. I love that he keeps getting to play stupid characters. But at this point, the Sungs have some sort of weird genetic abnormality. They, they've they looked exactly the same for like seven generations. Yes. <laughs> Doesn't even make any sense. And given the way that Picard has to keep explaining stuff, like Star Trek Picard has to keep going back and explaining why stuff that doesn't make any sense in the series actually makes sense. Eventually, they're just going to tell us they were all clones. <laughs> Which would actually kind of make sense to a degree. It's like, yeah, just uh, whenever one of us, uh, you know, hits 40, we pop out a new clone, and there we go. <laughs> so, like, this started as a really good idea. And this was even, you know, this era, 80s, this, like, came out originally in, like, 88, Having two, having two characters played by the same actor, both on screen at the same time, with body doubles and camera tricks and editing mm-hmm. and stuff, wasn't as common as we see now. It was a fairly big deal, but it's it's just gone too far, and it's it's actually difficult for me to, <laughs> it's it's slightly difficult for me to, to like look back on this as fondly because it's, I I see what it becomes. I I guess I could maybe uh, help out there. Uh... <laughs> Because uh, if we're going to be looking uh, at data lore here uh, and uh, the, where it sort of starts here, uh, we could maybe distract ourselves not by the, uh, the the body double saw stuff here, 
but the fact that we get to see a model of uh, Data's uh, ass. That is true. We do yes. get to see a model of Data's ass. Yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, as, as long as we uh, keep our uh, attention fi- focused on that, we'll, uh, we'll be able to get through this, I think. Yes. So yes. join us next time for apparently model of Data's ass. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, the best evil twin arrives. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>